everyone. Welcome to Reclaiming Rest Radio. I am Justin, your host. And I hope that by the time you're done listening to this episode, or watching, that you're encouraged to rest in Christ and the gospel. On the previous episode, I talked about the fact that the word lukewarm in Revelation 3.16 causes my brothers and sisters tremendous trepidation. Uh, I hope that episode has proven helpful and continues to be helpful. Uh, Today, I'm going to jump to the opposite end of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew. And I'll park in chapter 7, which is the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, My ultimate focus will be on verse 23, which contains the word depart. I think depart is another word in Scripture which causes my brothers and sisters tremendous trepidation. Perhaps even more than lukewarm. But as is the case with lukewarm, I believe that many people misunderstand what Jesus is communicating by his statement, Depart from me. And I will cover some verses leading up to Matthew 7.23, just as I did with Revelation prior to covering its verse, which contains the word lukewarm. Uh, I'll do that to establish some context, uh, which is always critical for gaining an accurate understanding. And finally, as I sought to do on the previous episode about the word lukewarm, I hope to provide anyone listening or watching with a sense of relief and precious gospel hope about the word depart. If you're fearful of the possibility that you'll hear the dreaded depart from me come judgment day, this episode is for you. So, I'll dive right in and read some verses. I'll start at 13. This is Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Okay, uh, before I address depart uh, from me specifically, I want to offer some clarification uh, and some gospel nuggets. Every word I just read out loud from Matthew 7 came from the mouth of Jesus. So, the narrow gate. That is a metaphor for him, Jesus. If that sounds crazy, or you're hearing that for the first time, uh, consider the fact that Jesus calls himself the gate for the sheep in John chapter 10, verse 7. Um, across the first half of John 10, Jesus proclaimed that he is the good shepherd who was to come as prophesied by David in Psalm 23, uh, Isaiah in chapters 40 and 63, and Ezekiel in chapters 34 and 37. So, good news. Since Jesus is the narrow gate, that means the narrow gate has nothing to do with performance and everything to do with where someone's trust lies for salvation. Or actually, in whom someone's trust lies. And there are two options for that. Self or Jesus Christ. 
Another reason why narrow gate is a metaphor for Jesus is that it is difficult for sinners to acknowledge their need of a Savior, much less embrace one on a personal level. That is what Jesus meant by how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. People naturally think highly about what they do. People focus on that. And the category for what people do in Scripture is law. People naturally self-justify. I do that, and you do that. And because mankind has a pride problem, it is easy for us to compare ourselves to other people. We conclude, well, I'm better than him, or I'm better than her, or even I'm better than them. That's why the gate is wide and the road is broad, which lead to destruction. It is easy to walk through a wide gate or walk along a broad road. Or by extension, it is easy to trust ourselves, which, according to Scripture, is condemning. Pride is the core reason why the people who want nothing to do with the real Jesus and his offer of salvation want nothing to do with the real Jesus. God's law exposes our pride because it demands perfect righteousness. And even though none of us can achieve that, by default, we are self-righteous. Again, we self-justify. The natural, sinful man fights tooth and nail to be self-sufficient, to not need God. And scripture refers to that as the flesh. And notice that Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. He echoed that in John 10, you know, which I referenced earlier, this time in verse 9. He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and go out and find pasture. 
Jesus was telling his audience to enter through him, the way, the truth, and the life. I hope that makes sense. I'll now move on to the good and bad trees. I'll preface by saying that it makes me very sad how many professing Christians use what Jesus said twice. You'll recognize them by their fruit. That statement is a go-to for those who have made it their mission to weed out the fakers, or, according to them, bad trees. Well, unfortunately for them, and fortunately for us, that statement has nothing to do with smoking out fakers. That statement doesn't justify judging the fruit of other professing Christians. Reason being, the subject of verses 15 through 20 is false prophets, and the subject doesn't change for each time Jesus said that we'll recognize them by their fruit. And given my earlier comments about Jesus having identified himself as the Good Shepherd, that statement is one from a good shepherd. After all, Jesus refers to the false prophets as ravaging wolves who wear sheep's clothing. Jesus said that because the wolf is the top predator of sheep, and he said that to protect his sheep from the danger of wolves, or false prophets. A sheep is a synonym for his people, believers, Christians. The bad trees are false prophets, not Christians who are judged to lack fruit. If Christians are compared to anything regarding plants, uh, we are branches. And good news, we're grafted in the vine. Who is Jesus Christ? So, how am I doing so far with my goal to provide relief and gospel hope? Anyway, that brings me to perhaps the even more dreaded verses, 21 through 23. Listener, viewer, 
Has the subject changed? Nope. It still hasn't. That means the everyone who calls Jesus Lord, Lord are false prophets. And I think it's also valid to consider them unbelievers in general. Um, And that's not an unreasonable assertion. After all, non-Christians call Jesus Lord all the time. Non-Christians did that during his days on earth. And, you know, Jesus acknowledges that in Luke 6, 46. Go ahead and look that up for yourselves. But non-Christians won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And we must not get tripped up by Jesus having said that who will enter the kingdom of heaven is only the one who does the will of my Father. I think people in general automatically associate the words do or does with action. So, what is the Father's will? Jesus tells us that in John 6.40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, and believes in him, you can also uh, read that as Trust him, depend on him, uh, whatever language uh, similarly applies. Do false prophets see Jesus Christ and believe in him? No. Okay, keeping the train rolling, I find something else. Especially fascinating. Many professing Christians believe that Jesus will say, Depart from me, to professing Christians who, in their estimation, didn't do enough or do well enough. But listen carefully. Jesus says, Depart from me to people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? What are they doing there? Those people are boasting about what they did. They're trusting in themselves, in their own righteousness. But their righteousness 
did not surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Or in other words, they're not perfect as God is perfect. So, Jesus finally says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Uh, let's unpack the words which bookend that statement, depart from me. Uh, but first, I'll quickly point out that Matthew 7.23 echoes Psalm 6.8. And again, you know, by all means, look that up yourself. Uh, I point that out because I didn't know that until recently. Anyway, what does Jesus mean by, I never knew you? That's a terrifying statement for a Christian who doesn't understand the concept behind it. I'll introduce my explanation by saying, many people know about God but don't know him. Uh, simply put, according to scripture, to be known by God is to know God. Or, in other words, that he is someone's heavenly father. Just listen to some verses which speak to the concept of knowing God. Uh, most of these were written by our brother, the Apostle John. Uh, we encounter this first one uh, in his gospel, chapter 6, verses 68 through 69. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom Will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Later in the book, chapter 17, verse 3, the high priestly prayer. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent. Jesus Christ. Oh, something from Paul in 1 Corinthians 8.3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And who loves God? Uh, as we were returned to our brother John, anyone upon whom God set his love first. The short and sweet verse 419, we love because he first loved us. Are we noticing a theme yet? A continuing. Also Paul, Galatians chapter 4 verses 8 through 9. But in the past, since you didn't know God, 
you were enslaved to things that by nature are not gods. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? And then to John's epistle, his first one. Uh, Selections from chapter 4. This is 6a through b. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. And then 4.16. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. For us, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. And then finally, the final chapter, 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and, and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows us, and we know him, and will never hear him say otherwise. Jesus will tell people to depart from him because they aren't his sheep and because they didn't receive him by faith. They trust themselves for eternal life. They were, as Romans 2 says, storing up wrath. For themselves. They are self seeking people who rejected the gospel. Okay? Uh, Now, the other bookend in Jesus' final statement, uh, which differs from translation to translation. Uh, in the one used on this episode, you know, from what I read earlier, Jesus called them lawbreakers. Uh, it can also read workers of lawlessness. Uh, and I'll opt for that language as I make this point. So, what is lawlessness? Well, again, our brother John helps us. He says quite plainly in his first epistle, it is sin. Sin is lawlessness. And a synonym for sin is unbelief or rebellion against God. Who then are the workers 
of lawlessness. Well, they are people who operate in lifelong unbelief. Lifelong. That's key. Uh, they're people who walk according to the flesh. You know, they do that. That is their life. Uh, they're people who are given over to wickedness. Believers are not given over to wickedness. And let's not be fooled. People like that can seem very moral. But Christianity isn't necessary for morality to exist. Christianity is necessary for dead sinners to be raised to new life. And that is what happens. So, what's the point? It is so important for us to grasp that Christians are sinners. But they are penitent sinners. Christians are repentant people. By the grace of God, Christians live lives of repentance. Repentance is granted by God to those whom he knows and knows him. Non-Christians are sinners, but they are impenitent sinners. They are unrepentant people. Uh, Workers of lawlessness, though they might call Jesus Lord, they're not his servants. They're servants of sin. They don't know Jesus, and he doesn't know them. He never did. So, have I accomplished my goal? of providing relief and gospel hope. And if not, please forgive me. And by all means, reach out for further discussion, clarification, uh, whatever might be additionally helpful to you. Um, For what it's worth, I believe that much more could be said about the matter, Uh, but in this case, I think it's helpful to keep things simple. And brothers and sisters, let us not allow the plague of self-righteousness in churches to rob us of the sweet assurance that we have in Christ. Let us not allow preaching on verses like Matthew 7.23, which is designed to smoke out fakers, to paralyze us with fear. Let us trust our Good Shepherd. 
let us rest in Jesus Christ. We are united to him. We are his body. Jesus can't tell his body to depart. Let us look forward to Christ bring, bringing us in to his kingdom. Let us look forward to hearing him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And we will, each of us, because he is good and faithful and was on our behalf. That is the gospel.